Welcome to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, where we are bringing some science into focus here for the next hour. My name's Cade, and I am joined by all three of our hosts again this week. It's two weeks in a row that we've had all four of us. Very exciting. So we've got Kai, Carla, Kat, and Cade here bringing some science into focus (laughs) on this Friday afternoon. And I think we established the alphabetical order of our names last week. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into... comes before I was going to say, before we get into um, some of the actual science we're doing some cool competitions would you rathers who would win science edition today but before we get into that we will alphabetically order um go through and do some science news for the week so kai would you like to start us off (laughs) (laughs) absolutely as kai is the first letter of the alphabet (laughs) i mean kai is a greek letter but it's not the first one so almost okay you're winning though Uh, (laughs) kate's lost it already Okay, let's get into some news. Well, some recent news from NASA is last week they launched a mission to an asteroid, and they've done this sort of thing before, but this one is particularly cool, I think, because the asteroid, they can tell from telescope images that it has an unusually high concentration of metal, Mm -hmm. and it's about 220 kilometers in diameter, and is almost entirely nickel and iron, so it is a giant Mm -hmm. chunk of metal. Mm Mm-hmm. It's located in the asteroid belt, which is between Mars and Jupiter. And they want to visit this asteroid because they want to learn more about, you know, how do you get a giant rock that's not really rock, it's just a giant chunk of metal floating around in space. (laughs) Mm. And one of the possible explanations for this is that this asteroid... In a, like before it became an asteroid, was actually the core of a planet. Whoa! Okay. And so there was a planet, and we know that the Earth's core is mainly metal. It's molten, but mm. it's yeah mainly comprised well, of metal. The core core is solid. right? The core core is, is solid because of the pressure, the pr- but like yeah. the outer layers mm. are molten. Yeah. But yes, yeah, high concentration of metal at the center of mm. a planet, mm-hmm. and they think that potentially this asteroid used to be that core of a planet that has been smashed apart and is now just floating as a big chunk of metal. Wow. So, yeah, they want to go find out where, what's going on on this asteroid, figure out, you know, something about it and maybe learn something about the early solar system and Mm. how planets form. Yeah, because I was going to say presumably a planet in our solar system, right? Because it wouldn't have traveled that far. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like a dwarf planet? Well, yeah, potentially a protoplanet or a dwarf planet that, yeah, didn't quite make it. Mm. Okay, what letter comes after Carla? <laughs> so Carla, um, also K, <laughs> what news have you got for us this week? So I'm going to be talking about prosthetics um, and looking at the use of bionics for amputees so they can continue to live their lives mostly non-impacted. So conventional artificial limbs and prosthetics um, basically use like the stump of an amputated limb um, that allows like certain functions to be restored but these can often be really uncomfortable and limited in their function and coupled with um, pain as well so scientists are trying to find alternatives that restore both sensory and motor control following amputation but it's also proven to be quite difficult because there needs to be an attachment between obviously the prosthetic and like the bones muscles and nerves um, for the for there to be reliable control So a study published in Science Robotics last Friday 
documented the experience of a Swedish woman who lost her right arm during like a farming accident. And then she was given a bionic arm in 2018 that merged with both her skeletal and nervous systems to allow her to still use her arm. Mm. So I did say it merged with her body systems. <laughs> so this means they did have to conduct a surgery. Mm. Um, yep. She mm. lost her arm from just about like the mid forearm down so just below the elbow and what they did was they inserted like titanium implants into both her radius and ulna so the two bones of the forearm um, as well as electrodes into the muscles and ulna nerve Um, the titanium implants also had an extension that like protruded outside of the arm which then attached to the bionic hand Mm -hmm. which allowed the electrodes to function and for information to be passed bi-directionally so basically, the prosthetic arm uses artificial intelligence to translate the woman's commands that originate in her brain. Mm-hmm. And the researchers say that the hand remains usable and she can use it to complete daily tasks. That's cool. And That's awesome. it assisted with phantom limb pain. So she said oh, with her original yeah. prosthetic, um, she had a lot of pain, but that has now been alleviated with that as well. So just some really exciting news in the prosthetic space. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that is really awesome because that's definitely like the phantom limb yeah, pain is yeah. one of – I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people, yeah, struggle. Um, so that's really cool that it helped mm. with that as well. All right, Catriona, starting with the letter C, <laughs> which obviously comes after the letter K. What news have you got for us this week? Um, well, my question for you before I launch into my news is how many basic tastes do we have? Oh, this is one of those Aww. questions where everyone's like, it's obviously this number that you learn in kinder. Oh, and it's no, 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 it's not like the whole census thing. <laughs> is it like five? Yeah. There's like five tastes, okay. yes, right? Five yeah. tastes. So sweet, salty, sour, bitter, umami. Umami, yeah. yes. Um, but a new study from the University of Cal- Southern California suggests that maybe we have six. <gasps> mm. That's cool. All right, yes. tell me more. <laughs> so uh, have uh, any of you ever tried salty licorice? Like not just licorice, Wait, salty, salty, salty licorice. licorice. I haven't, but I have some at home, I think. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Test this out afterwards. Um, but it's it's a popular candy in particularly some northern European countries. Um, so if you had ever tried it, or maybe Kai, when you go <laughs> home and you try it, um, you might be familiar with the taste of salmic salt or uh, in other words, ammonium chloride, which is one of the ingredients. And neuroscientists now have evidence that we have ammonium chloride as one of the basic tastes, like actually just oh, the, wow. the chemical. Oh. <laughs> How, okay, no, I'll let you finish before I ask questions. Um, because it, it activates a receptor that people thought was like sour, but it's actually not quite sour and it's not quite salty either, even though I know that it, I said it was a salt. Mm-hmm. Um, so scientists for decades have known that the tongue responds strongly to ammonium chloride, but despite extensive research, like we didn't really know the receptors that were involved in, in receiving it and, and it kind of remained elusive until now. So these researchers believe that our ability to taste ammonium chloride may have evolved to help us and, well, particularly other animals, avoid eating harmful things with high concentrations of ammonium. So it's like triggering a receptor to make you go like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because ammonium is found in waste products. Like if you think of fertilizer um, animals and and that can somewhat be toxic. So it would kind of make sense that animals would want to detect it. Um, But the amount that's in salsa licorice is is fine. So go for it. (laughs) But yeah, maybe, maybe it's a different kind of taste. That's that's really interesting. Mm. Um, 
says the neuroscientist. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I was, this is when, when Kai at the start, when you were like, how many? I was like, oh, is this going to be like a, a trick question? Because yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I didn't just learn it in primary school. Mm. I learned it in my neuroscience undergraduate <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. degree uh, that there are only five. So, mm-hmm. no, that's, oh, that's really awesome. Um, cool. Well, with that, I'm going to bring us into our first song before we get into some really fun battle science. <laughs> and so we've got Rather Be by Clean Bandit. Welcome back to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder where we're bringing science into focus and you just heard Rather Be by Clean Bandit and we didn't really mention it before but this is the last episode of the semester. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't mention it because I forgot. (laughs) Oh gosh, true. Oh gosh, guys. Um, And as is tradition, we like to shake things up a little bit on the last episode and do something a little bit fun and today we're trying out this format where we, we... Either ask a would you rather question or like a who would win in a fight type thing. And I believe Cade is mm. going for the second option. So who yeah. would win? So who would win? Who do you guys think would win in a fight between a tiger and a lion? Battle of the oh. big cats. <laughs> oh. So I'm just going to ask you. I'll, I have a whole lot of, I mean, I, I don't have a definitive answer necessarily, but I have, I have some thoughts that might influence your decision. And I'll give you some facts kind of as we go along. But just gut feel before you know, just based on what you already know about these two animals. Carla. I was going to say lion. Okay. Cat. Tiger. I'll go lion. Interesting. Okay, cool. So what have I told you that size-wise, tigers weigh up to like 270 kilos, whereas lions only weigh about 230 kilos, uh, mainly because muscle weighs more than fat. Tigers have more muscle. Mm. Um, Tigers also grow to over 10 feet long, whereas lions are only about nine feet um, long. However, lions stand a little taller at the shoulders, which sort of gives them an advantage for like paw swipes, but Mm. it's a disadvantage for like throat attacks. Um, (laughs) This feels like Pokemon or something. Yeah. Have your answers changed at all? Tiger, it's a leaning a bit more towards tiger. It mm-hmm. seems like it's it's got, you know, size and weight on its side, which mm-hmm. which might be an advantage. But yeah, I feel like it depends who's faster and more agile. Okay. Though. Yeah, like who gets in there first yeah. to either do the throat attack or the yeah. like. The, well, all right, tigers are more agile. Um, and they can stand up on their really strong hind legs and up on two legs, whereas lions don't do that. They tend to fight standing on like three legs and only swiping with the one paw. But in terms of, you know, I mentioned throat attacks before. Let's think about lions, male lions. They have a mane. Yeah. It's like a shield um, around their neck. It's going to it means that the opponent can't easily access the carotid artery or the cervical vertebra, which are mm. both two easy ways to win a, win a battle, um, <laughs> I should say. So... Is it, is it a fair fight, too, or are they, like, just in the, the jungle or savannah or something? Well, I guess this is the question, right? Um, it depends on the fighting scenario. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to say, let's say, first of all, if we put them in an arena and we had a one-on-one mm-hmm. in a, like, battleground, not in nature, not in the wild. Like, mm-hmm. And they actually did do this back in ancient Rome because, of, of course, course, they, they did. did. Um, <laughs> back in the days of gladiator fights. Good, so um, we have experimental data. That so was I do question. actually have some, um, a little bit of data on this particular scenario. Um, and actually, it's really interesting because experts seem a little bit differed in their opinions, um, but also seem to think it will depend on what sort of battle arena mm. these people or these people, these, <laughs> these big cats that we're, we're t- pretending are people because we're making them battle and it's a bit far, <laughs> bit, bit, bit sad to think of it um, otherwise. It's probably interesting to think. So in this one 1v1 battle scenario, 
experience is an interesting thing that might come into it. Because if you think about so Tigers, I think Tigers are seeming like the obvious sort of winners so far. They're kind of bigger, stronger, more agile. But if you think about their kind of lifestyle, Lions are more experienced in the sort of one-on-one big cat combat, right? Mm. Because they are a pride animal. They exist in groups. And there is one, especially so if we're talking the male kind of head lion, um, has to keep defending himself. And there's competitors in the pride Mm. that kind of come up and try and take this spot. And they, they, from a young age, lions are fighting (laughs) one-on-one other big cats. Whereas tigers, tigers are really just solitary animals that spend a lot of time kind of like living by themselves. And they don't have much competition, like direct competition. Mm. So they're they're Mm. very good at killing their prey, but they don't have one-on-one big cat fight. Like they don't know how to do that. Mm. So I guess if we're taking an adult lion and an adult tiger and then putting them in an arena together. Mm. The lion has experience on its side. But if you raise them both as, like, from cubs for battle, that's different again, right? <laughs> mm. um, tigers also have larger brains relative to their body size. Mm-hmm. But um, it is very disputed amongst the scientific community whether that actually means anything mm. in terms of, like, a measure of intelligence. Because, fun fact, mice have a very similar brain-to-body ratio uh, to humans. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to think that you're smarter than a mouse or not. Um, mice are not very smart. So <laughs> let that inform you. Um, tigers also have a greater bite force. They have longer and sharper fangs, so they can mm. inflict deeper wounds. Tiger fangs are about four inches long, um, whereas lions are only three inches. So, mm. you know. I think either would hurt. Um, <laughs> they would both probably hurt. Uh, lions, however, have better stamina. The tigers tend to, because they get up on their hind legs and they swipe with their two yeah, big, yeah, yeah. I was going to say arms, front legs. <laughs> um, whereas the lions, because of this stance where they kind of have their back two in front and they're just going the one, they have the better stamina. So mm-hmm. in a battle that kind of lasts longer, they've got the shield, so the higher armor class. Um, <laughs> they've got the, you know, this is, um, so I'm going to, Hmm. I think that's probably all the facts that I'll give you for the moment. And I'm going to go, do we have Final a... decision. Uh, yeah. Sort of. Come on, put a vote in. I feel like I'm still undecided. Mm. Even mm-hmm. after, like, I know, I feel like I agreed that the Tigers are probably better, like, mm. set up. Mm. Yeah. The experience. Yeah. Experience is, is I feel like we thing. can't underestimate experience. Yeah. Yeah. I started off backing Lion. I'll stick with Lion. You'll stick yeah. with Lion? I'm kind of going towards Lion. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I thought I said more Tiger facts. And, I mean, no, and, yeah, you, you uh, did. You're you trying did, to convince us? Like, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm just. Well, uh, do we know who won in ancient Roman times? Yeah, yeah. So. I need to know this. <laughs> Essentially, a bit of both. Um, <laughs> but more often than not, tiger. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in ancient Rome, okay. lions and tigers were often pitted against each other. Yeah. <laughs> and although, yeah, the battles were usually very, very fierce, tigers were usually victorious and killed the lions in most cases. Mm. Um, there are a couple of really famous examples of this. There's a famous tiger named Gunga. Um, and there's stories around this. And there's this, this story of this, like, ferocious fight um, between the tiger that was kept in captivity in London um, <laughs> in 1859, because of course humans are the way that they are, <laughs> um, and so this particular tiger as well, it had had a fight with it had attacked the keeper um, and was 
blinded, partially blinded in one eye. And it still then had a fight with a tiger, right? And when the fight, sorry, the, this is the tiger. The tiger then had a fight mm. with the lion. So mm-hmm. we've got a partially blinded tiger. Um, when the fight began, the tiger aggressively attacked the lion and their fight lasted for some time before the tiger grew tired. So the lions, like I said, generally have greater stamina. And so mm. the lion kind of took this opportunity to gain advantage over the tiger, pounced on Gunga, but the legendary tiger showed tremendous resilience. And while lying on its back, used its back legs to deliver a swift counter-strike to the lion, tore open the lion's <gasps> stomach, causing it to bleed <laughs> heavily and die. Um, so even despite the stamina, despite being blinded, despite being kind of down this, yeah. So it's really interesting. There's so many examples. Um, but it's really strange because, right, in, in terms of, like, history, like, mm. we, we see lions are generally the king of the jungle mm. and they're sort of what's memorialized mm. and what's, you know. But, but well, they're more are, like king of the savannah, right? yeah. Um, mm. But you know, Leo the lion is the king of the jungle, and it's just, you know that's that's where I get my. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's really interesting because like experts seem really really uh, divided on this, and some of the experts mm. are being like, no, a lion would win. But overall, it seems to be the case that the outcome of a fight between a lion and a tiger would depend heavily on the individuals, their age, their breed their mood, their fighting style, their physiology, so on and so forth. But historical evidence does tend to suggest that tigers are a bit more likely to win. My personal sort of conclusion after reading and learning all this stuff, I reckon male versus male, a tiger would win. Female versus female, a lion would win. Because mm. the female lions do all the hunting? Yeah. Okay. Mm. But I guess that if the but males are all But then again, a female lion other, doesn't have the mane to protect mm, it, and a male mm. lion does. So I don't know. Having I said think- that... I take that back. <laughs> I don't know. We're just going to have to test um, it. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Yeah. Um, no, uh. don't test it. And, you know, in the wild, this is something that, that never – we don't have, you know, good data in the wild because mm. this never happens. They, they exist in very different parts of the world and yeah. also just don't – it's not advantageous to either of these animals to kind of compete, right? Mm, yeah. they're, kind of, they're both at risk here, so they kind of – they stick to their own – yeah, so that's my very non-conclusive answer, but that was fun. Um, very fun. I'm going to put my money on the tiger, though. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you did back in ancient Rome, whether you like bet slaves on it or something. Oh, yeah, I'd bet my slaves on the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that was that was pretty cool, Cade. Um, we're going to chuck on another song. This is Would You Rather by Phoebe Bridges, and we'll be back with more soon. Welcome back to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was Would You Rather by Phoebe Bridges, and that's because we're doing a little Would You Rather today. So I'll pass it over to Kai to get us started. All right. Well, I wouldn't be the laser lad if I didn't come out <laughs> with a light question in this one. And my question is, would you rather... Okay, well, before I say that, like, we can see in the visible wavelength, mm-hmm. and would you rather extend that to the ultraviolet or the infrared? <sighs> Ooh, see, I could see where this really question was going. I was like, oh, my gosh, if only. <laughs> I've seen all those photos of, like, oh, the flowers bee. yeah, yeah, the yeah. bees, and I feel oh, like so pretty. so cool. Yeah, so, like, UV. Oh. That's, okay. that's a very – see, my brain <laughs> – am I too much of a workaholic? Because we – so um, in my research, we record videos of our rats in the operant chambers and the fear conditioning chambers using, like, infrared cameras and mm-hmm. infrared light because – and I'm like, oh, how useful would it be in my research if I could see an infrared? <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway. like, see, see heat signatures and stuff. But also, yeah. I guess mine's kind of work too. Like, I do something called the Glow Show when we use UV light. Mm. So, yeah, things look different under UV light. Mm. It would be cool to just see it. At all. I don't know. I want to know. 
more about what you can actually see or what what would I actually see? Yeah, so I one thing I want to bring up first of all is that the visible range, like the definition varies a little bit depending on who you ask, mm. but I'm going to say about 400 to 800 nanometers. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, 400 is half of 800, which means that the frequency is also a factor of two. And that means the visible range is about an optical octave. Aww. That's cute. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say, like, if you were to extend, like, extend your vision, mm. vision up, let's say two octaves either way, up or down, in the infrared, mm. that would be out to 3,200 nanometers or 3.2 micron, mm-hmm. and then the UV down to 100 nanometers. So that ex- that covers quite a lot. Uh, it's not the entire infrared or UV range, but it does cover quite a lot of interesting things mm. that are going on. And we've already heard some of them. Catriona, you mentioned the flowers. Oh, Carla mentioned, well, Carla mentioned it, it first, but yeah, both mm, of you seem excited yeah. by flowers yes. in yeah, the UV. Yeah, the photos look so cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's because um, flowers and insects or pollinating insects have co-evolved with this UV signaling mm. so that the, the flowers have you know, patterns on them that are in- invisible under visible light, but mm. the the insects can identify specific flowers. And it's really interesting that they can, like, they, it turns out that certain insects are better at pollinating if they only go to the same flowers. Like, there's no point pollinating different mm. species with its pollen. So yeah. particular insects like particular species of flowers because of the patterns that mm-hmm. can only go. be seen in yeah. ultraviolet light. That's cool. So... That's very, very cool. Um, Cade, you mentioned at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, tell night- me more about infrared. <laughs> infrared, I'm yeah. I'm drawn to infrared, but I, I want to know some non-work-related reasons why I might be able to justify this to everyone else. I mean, night vision is a pretty cool one. Yeah, um, that's, oh, that's what, it, yeah, seeing in the dark, that's with our rats because they're in the dark. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'd use it for, but I guess I could do night vision for non-work reasons. <laughs> I know, it'd be cool. Um, but m- the thing is, with infrared night vision, you also need an infrared source. Like, you're not just seeing light. That's true. You need to have, a like, an infrared torch or something. But, like, if I had infrared vision, I would get goggles or something that, like, you know. <laughs> Project infrared Surely everywhere. there would be, like, a... Yeah. Yep. Um, and now the, the light that they tend to use for night vision is very near infrared. So it's usually about, mm. like, 800 or 900 nanometers. So that's right on the edge. And you might have noticed this if you've ever seen, like, a security camera with infrared LEDs around it in mm. the dark, you'll notice they're like a very dim red. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's because you can detect like a tiny bit mm. of that infrared kind light. Of, does it bleed mm. through into the visible sort of red a it little bit? It does a little bit. Kind of like with a UV like or a black light, you know, it's a lot of it's UV light, but a little bit bleeds in and you can see blue. Yes, yes, because mm. your, your mm. like photoreceptors in your eyes, their response to wavelength like falls off slowly the further mm. away you get from their mm. center. So you'll still be able to detect a tiny little bit of 800 nanometer light. But if you go much further than that, you, you're really not going to see it. Mm-hmm. So night vision is very near infrared. But if you go further into the infrared, you get to like the thermal camera range. Mm. And that's because any object yeah. at any temperature gives off light. And the the color of that light is proportional to the temperature. So I'm mm-hmm. sure you've seen pieces of metal get heated up and they glow mm. red and then they get hotter yeah. and they glow yellow and eventually they'll glow white hot. Yeah. If yeah. you keep going, it becomes blue. blue. Mm. Yeah. And um, 
I remember that blowing my mind as a kid when mm. I learned that like blue was like the hottest flame. Mm. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, but blue is cool. No. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same thing happens with the sun. So mm. you can tell the temperature of the sun based on the color mm. or like any other stars, like blue stars yep. are hotter than yeah. orange stars. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. So any object's temperature has a light color associated with it. And if you mm. can see into the infrared, um, you will be able to see temperature. That's awesome. So, like, as I said, if we're limiting this to, like, 3,200 nanometers as the bottom edge of infrared, you're, you're not going to be able to see, like, all the way down to, like, low temperatures, mm. but you could definitely tell the difference in temperature between looking at a person's body temperature and a cup of boiling water. Mm. Could you tell it, like you know, enough looking at a person that has a fever or not? Like, could you use this medically to, like, diagnose oh. people and be like, you're warmer right now. Like, I'm getting a vibe. I'm getting it. It just makes me think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's like um, when they're using, like, infrared goggles. And it's like, mm. Amy, you're ovulating. <laughs> yeah. Could you use it for that? I mean, could you tell if someone's ovulating? This is getting very into the specifics. Maybe not. Like, the temperature um, difference is only a small fraction of that, yeah. that range. That would be like if you could tell... Well, interestingly, you can tell the difference, like a one wave, a one nanometer difference in wavelength. Like it does make subtly different colors. Mm. Um, but yeah, in this hypothetical situation where you can see <laughs> an infrared, I don't know if you can tell whether someone's got a fever or not. Um, but some other interesting mm. things with like ultraviolet and infrared is that some things you might not be able to see in those those wavelengths. For example glass tends to be almost totally opaque to ultraviolet oh really yeah oh. so glass will stop like a, the longer the wavelength of ultra or the higher the energy shorter the wavelength the less it gets through glass hmm. um, so would you not so you'd be able walk to see out windows yeah. well i mean if you can still see in the visible range which i, I guess we're saying yeah you could, you yeah would, yeah we're expanding we're not but shifting. it would be like it would be like if all windows were red and you can only oh, see red okay. through those windows. You can't see blue through those windows. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be able to see the ultraviolet stuff through the windows. Mm. So if you're looking at a flower through glass, if you so if you wear glasses, which you both do, <laughs> Carla and Kat, the two that picked ultraviolet, both wear glasses, um, wouldn't actually be able to see the flowers. Is that what I'm hearing? That's that's quite possible. <gasps> that's amazing. I mean, not amazing. That's, that's very funny. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some consolation. You could get glasses made out of a material that's not glass. Um, that specifically got more transmission in the and the ultraviolet mm-hmm. wavelength. Mm, I feel like if humans had ultraviolet vision, we would be making our eyeglasses out of different things. Yes, yeah. yes I think so. Um, yeah, so with all that being said, <laughs> have, have your answers changed? No, nah, I reckon still uh, infrared. I'm pretty sure you can also, they also use infrared light in like smart like wearable tech to detect like blood oxygenation and stuff you can mm. like i don't know i my brain's just gone all medical like what can i diagnose <laughs> with my eyeballs it's like a super sniffer dog but with my eyes so i'm still infrared yep. ovulation apparently yeah. <laughs> how convenient with, anyway whatever uh infrared's my final answer i mean i can still see without my glasses okay <laughs> so i'm, I'm gonna stick UV. with the uv and look at the flowers <laughs> Um, I cannot see without my glasses. Uh, but I, I did mention, like, before I we mm-hmm. launched into it, I did mention that heat would be cool to see, and then you touched mm. on it. So, yeah, I'm going to switch to infrared. Well, there you go. What about you, Kai? Uh, I was thinking infrared. The thermal stuff would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Amazing. All right, so this is All I Do Is Win by DJ Khalid, and we'll be back soon for more Would You Rathers. That was All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled. Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus on Radio Fodder. And we're battling it out, or rather doing Would You Rathers as well. So, (laughs) Carla, I think you have a battle for us? I do. So I'm posing the question, who would win between the world's most powerful volcanic eruption or the world's most powerful nuclear weapon? Wow, I couldn't say either of those were. But, like, (laughs) define win. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's like, what, what do good. you want? Well, they're both quite destructive, so I yeah. guess who, who would... would do the most damage? Yeah. Are we trying to attack? Like, are we trying to blow the volcano volcano up with the bomb, or no. are we like, is that the battle? Like, does I the would, bomb survive? Does I feel the like survive? The, the battle is who would yeah cause who the would most hurt the most people? damage on Earth, okay. whether it be people, mm. animals, the Earth itself. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, and it's. Biggest nuclear weapon that's ever been made, like, so yes. let off or, or made? Because, like, oh, oh. well, I, yes. Or dreamt up. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's they're definitely nuclear weapon. Yeah. Because I feel well, like they have the potential to do more. I can give you a little bit of info about the most powerful nuclear weapon that mm. we know of. Do you mm-hmm. want us to lock um, in an answer before you do that? or? I mean, do you have one already lingering? I, I'm, I'm inclined to go nuclear weapon, but I need more information. Nah, yeah. I'm. D- volcanoes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I was like to find wind because I know that like a volcano eruption changed the weather for three years. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gave us okay. a winter for three years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like if you think about um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like mm. the, the effects. Oh, and they're yeah. nowhere near the biggest exactly. nuclear weapon. Exactly. So I'm yeah. just like, oh. Okay, well, background on the most powerful nuclear weapon. Mm. It's called the Tsar Bomba which has also been called Big Ivan or the King of Bombs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was the (laughs) largest nuclear weapon that was ever set off and it produced the most powerful human-made explosion ever recorded. Mm. Um, It yielded an explosion equivalent to 57 megatons of TNT. Initially, it was meant to hold 100 megaton capacity, but the resulting fallout was going to be too mm. much, so they scaled it down. Um, but even Yikes. so, when it was modified down to 50, it was still estimated to be 3,800 times the strength of the US bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Wow. Yeah. That is large. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the effects of that, um, it exploded four kilometres above the ground. It produced a mushroom cloud 60 kilometres high. Wow. The flash was seen, like the detonation flash was seen a thousand kilometers away. Oh my gosh. And an un- uninhabited village, well, sorry, one uninhabited village that was 55 kilometers away from the ground drop zero yeah. drop site um, was completely reduced to rubble. And buildings 160 kilometers away were reported to be damaged. Where did they? Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, oh, good question. Have... And I, oh, it's. Gosh. Not in my notes. If I had to guess, I'd say in like Siberia somewhere. Yeah, mm. it was definitely yeah. It, they tried to do it in the middle of nowhere just because. Yeah, yeah. Of the effect, because that's huge. <laughs> that's a big effect. Fifty-five kilometers away was rubble. Yeah. Um, and basically, they estimate if you dropped this bomb on the center of Luxembourg, mm. you would effectively destroy the entire country. 
So Luxembourg wow. is a small country <laughs> in saying that, but yeah. still, like it's you could still yeah. a whole country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the smallest country. No. So. no. Mm. Yeah. So that's a little bit of background on the nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my money is on that, but I don't know yeah. enough about volcanoes <laughs> so, either. <laughs> the most powerful volcanic eruption released 1,050 quintillion joules when it um, erupted. That feels large. Yes, I, it's a number I... I have not... I <laughs> yes, can't even conceptualise. Yes, mm. exactly. Um, and it left a really large depression um, called a caldera, which is now the Lagarita caldera, and that is in southwestern Colorado in the US. Um, basically, it spewed 1,200 cubic miles of lava and ash in about a day, and it is yeah the most powerful natural disaster that we know of. It did happen a very long time ago, so 500 million years ago, mm-hmm. and we know that because of the way the caldera mm-hmm. looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, now I'm like cubic miles, but then we have kilometers. <laughs> yeah. like, how far to... can cubic yeah. miles yeah. spread out? But that's also cubic. It's a volume mm-hmm. of, of – I still – that sounds pretty big. I feel like yeah. there was probably a mass extinction event associated with that volcano. Yeah, because mm. you were saying stuff about weather before, mm. Kat, like if a vol- like that would cause some serious. Well, as a was little there an ice age after <laughs> it or something. <laughs> I was just going to say, as a little fun fact, um, the reason why I know that mm. uh, is because Mount Tambora erupted, um, <clears throat> and that created a three-year winter. And during that three-year winter, people were so bored and like it was dark and they were sad, and so that's why we have the story Frankenstein. Because oh. Mary Shelley was Wrote like, it you know, the, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, thanks, volcano. Yeah, because that's classic lit. Like, um. yeah. I don't know. I feel like even when I was like looking into this, I was always on Team Volcano, just because of that sheer mm. fact that they can spew up so mm. much um, that can end up being in the air and whatnot. But. Yeah. I guess. But then this what is, about like radiation afterwards? That's yeah, the thing, that's, like the resulting that's what I was effects. Like, it's a hard Medicine. one. I also don't have a definitive, mm. definitive <laughs> answer. I guess we don't really know what winning means. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, with all of these things, they're all kind of hypothetical. So, yeah. um, which one's going to kill more people or animals? Yeah, and that's not really a win, mm. is it? And it's also like. There's the initial kind of during the event yeah. and then there's the lasting environmental yeah. effects. So it's like who's going to kill the most people mm. the day of and who's mm. going to kill the most people like cumulatively yeah. mm. over 100 years. So I, I suspect the, the volcano that we were talking about probably caused a very long winter and probably caused extinction of several species, mm. if not like mm. a mass extinction event. We're all still here after the sun. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, true. that's true. true. I guess the yeah. Well, true. Yeah. Oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't know who won there, but <laughs> this song, "Winner Takes All," or rather, "The Winner Takes It All." That's by Abba. You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, and that was The Winner Takes It All by ABBA because we've got some cool competition science uh, for today's final fun episode. And, Catriona, I believe you've got a would-you-rather question for us. Yes, I do. Would you rather spend a day on Uranus or a day on Mercury? I don't know enough about either of these planets, and I really want to make the joke about yeah, <laughs> I would rather spend time on Uranus. Um, so there's my obligatory joke that someone had to make. Yeah, I, w- I was potentially going to phrase it as Neptune, but like, 
you know, Uranus. Uranus. Um, Uranus. <laughs> can't help but think that Uranus is a gas giant and what does spending time on it actually mean? Floating amongst <laughs> the gases. I don't know. I remain impartial. I feel like coming out of like last week's episode talking about the different sunrises and sunsets on oh, different yeah, planets, yeah. whichever oh, yeah. one has the prettiest skies, I'm there. <laughs> You're about the prettiness, like yeah, the pretty yeah, flowers, the pretty skies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, what if I told you that a day on Uranus is 17 hours and 14 minutes on Earth? That means you get more sunrises per day. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say, define a day, whereas on Mercury, a day is is much, much longer. It's like, it's 59 Earth days. Mm. So in terms of like sunrises per, or sunsets per lifetime. Do you know how long a a year on Mercury is? (laughs) A year on Mercury is 88 Earth days. Okay. So essentially, two years on Mercury lasts for only three days. So not many sunrises. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whereas um, no, a whole year on Uranus is 84 Earth years. Wow. Mm. So you'd have a very long time between birthdays, but you'd get lots of sunrises. <laughs> <laughs> but to balance that out, if Look, our only metric is sunrises, the sunrises on Mercury would take a long time. Mm, that's true. It would last a long time. Mm. And then it would, like they, would they for be- a long time. <laughs> Would they be blue, like the sunrises on what was it? Was Mars. it Mars? Mars. Well, Mercury has no atmosphere yeah. or barely any atmosphere, so, so like, they wouldn't even be worth. It. No, okay. So Uranus. Does, wait, does Uranus have an atmosphere? <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's, okay, it's well, a gas giant. It's like sun, mostly sunsets atmosphere. and sunrises are apparently. I'm agreeing yeah. the yeah. metric for this decision and Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> so you just asked if it has an atmosphere, and actually, yes, it, it has a, a decent atmosphere. Um, and that atmosphere is mostly hydrogen and helium, which are the two most abundant elements in our universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also with a little bit of methane, which gives it that blue color. So mm. that's that's why the two ice giants have. So blue Uranus color. has methane, methane in its Hang atmosphere. On. No, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so underneath that atmosphere is um, like a flu- sort of fluidy material. It's like a fluid. It's it's pretty much liquid. Uh huh. Pretty much liquid. Um, and you can think of it as like oceans. But the core of Uranus, even though it's so far away from the sun, the core of it is quite hot. Like it's mm-hmm. a super hot mm. ocean, mm-hmm. and it's a super hot ocean of water. Yay. Mm-hmm. And methane mm-hmm. and ammonia. So, for context, everyone listening, <laughs> yep. methane is a gas that we release when we fart, and ammonia is in urine. So, it's yes. like you'd be swimming in farts and pee. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we've named this planet Uranus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, still, I still would rather live there. I think that's fine. Yeah. I'm used to those things, right? <laughs> <laughs> would there be anyone else there? Or is it just you on your own? I mean, if you want to take a buddy. Okay. Why? Do, how does that affect your decision? Yeah. I don't know, because I feel like it'd be funny if you're in your <laughs> with your friends. Yeah, well, well, maybe no, maybe maybe you would have to bring someone because a spacecraft would have nowhere to land on Uranus. Mm. So you'd like so need someone hovering around. What if you operation? had like a watercraft, though? <laughs> yeah, and then just like landed on, on the super hot ocean? Yeah. 
I mean, look, if we have designed a craft that can get us to Uranus within our lifetimes, I feel like we can also design this craft to land Mm. on a super hot ocean. Yes. Like, and when I say super hot ocean, I mean almost 5,000 degrees Celsius. Oh, okay. How is it still liquid? And that's that's much hotter than the surface of Mercury, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. So the surface temperature of Mercury, even though it's like the closest planet to the sun, it's not the hottest. That that goes to Venus. Um, Like I said, it was the core that goes to 5,000 yep. degrees Celsius of, of Uranus. Um, so, yeah, the cores of planets can be very, very hot. Like our core mm-hmm. is, is very, very hot on, on Earth. Our core. My personal core <laughs> yeah. is very hot. Um, yeah, it is. But, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. But uh, Mercury, because it has no atmosphere, it, it undergoes very, very um, rapid and, and <laughs> um, very, very big temperature changes. Mm. So it goes all the way down from like minus 180 degrees Celsius during the night time. Not that the, you know, the mm. days the days are very, very long, but at night, mm. that cold. And then during the day when it's actually facing the sun, it goes to above 400 degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. So it is pretty hot. But, um, yeah, Not if as. you can imagine like swimming on the ocean core of <laughs> Uranus at 5,000 degrees Celsius. Don't know about that one. I Could think I have a space suit that is... In, like gonna protect me as well while I I don't know I'm still <laughs> mm. I still I still pick Uranus yeah well the atmosphere is okay like the atmosphere is minus 224 degrees okay cool yeah. sweet no no, <laughs> yeah, no, no dramas <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah well Uranus is my final answer I don't know about you guys Mercury I'll join you <laughs> yeah cool all right well Carla and I It'll are be funny go together there you in, go Uranus uh, <laughs> And so that was our final episode for the semester and for the year of Radio Silence. If you're sad, if you miss us, you can catch this episode and all past episodes on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And this is our final song. We've got Battlefield by Jordan Sparks.